So, we'll start with Mark chapter 1. We're going to go through the whole chapter, so buckle up. And we'll begin reading verses 1 to 8. In the beginning, or the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after, we, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's stop there for the moment. So, thankfully, Mark tells us right out of the gates why he is writing this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's writing the gospel to tell the news of Jesus. Now, the Son of God, or Messiah, that's actually what Son of God means. In the Judaism of the day, Son of God was a title, and that title is Messiah. And Messiah means king. And so a king would have a rule and a dominion and a reign, and there's an understanding here that the intention of the Messiah was to bring freedom and was to bring hope and was to bring justice and was to bring goodness. And so at the beginning, Mark is telling us why he's writing. He's writing to tell the good news. So there's news coming about Messiah, the king, the one who is to bring peace and hope and goodness. And he is expected. This people who read this initially are expecting the one that Mark is talking about. And so Mark then ties that expectation to their story. And so he quotes, in connecting Jesus to their expectation, he quotes two Old Testament prophets who have been talking about this one they should come to expect, Malachi and Isaiah. And so the quote is, Behold, I send my messengers before your faith. He will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of Messiah. Prepare the way for this king. Make his path straight. And then we go after this introduction of who it is that Jesus is, Jesus of Nazareth. We have this moment that John appears and he's appearing. This is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, and he's appearing in the wilderness and he is baptizing people. And as he prepares the way, that tells us how he is preparing the way. He is preparing the way through baptism. This act where this crowd of people, like they roll down to the river in the middle of the wilderness and they experience this physical reality of going into the river and coming out. And it is a picture. It's a picture of repentance is what it says here. Or another way to say it would be life change. That basically they had become a people of misplaced trust and allegiance. 
And so that's where sin comes from, when we violate an abandoned relationship. And so John is calling them back to an allegiance to Yahweh. And the way that they're declaring that they want this allegiance is through putting themselves underneath the water and coming up. And so as they express this allegiance to Yahweh, they become recipients of grace, forgiveness of sins. And so at the end here, John says, while he can call them into life change, he's declaring this, preaching this, calling them to take this act to go down by the river. He says, well, I can call you into life change. The one who's going to give you the power to make that life change happening is going to come after me. And he's the one who's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. And that's what, how we talked about last week. If you weren't here, listen to it. Because how he described what we receive in the power that comes through the Holy Spirit, it is the power to enact the life change that they declared that they wanted to see happen as they put themselves underneath that water and rose up out of it. And so John says, there's one coming after me who will offer something that will make that life change possible. And it says, he says that's who Jesus is. He's the one that is greater than I. And he offers more. And so this is the introduction to Jesus, the news about Jesus. And then we have a picture of Jesus. Verse 9, read with me. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately... He saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. So we have this introduction of who Jesus is. We know that John is the one who declares his coming, and then here he is. He steps onto the scene. And the first thing he does is that he gets baptized. And so we have to ask ourselves, why? Why is Jesus baptized? So if John is the one that is coming before Jesus, and Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the King, and the king has the power to change everything, why would he need to go out into the middle of the wilderness, basically the middle of nowhere, and be baptized? It creates this tension because isn't he the one that's going to bring the change? Like, why is, the, why is he out there declaring that he wants to associate himself with those who are saying they want to recount their allegiance to Yahweh? Like, why is he doing that? Many of you in here have been baptized. And in Christian baptism, and when we're doing what we're doing when we are baptized, is that we're accepting a new life that is offered to us in Christ. That's the point of baptism. They, they declared their allegiance to Yahweh, and in that moment we declare our allegiance to, to Christ, and we say that we accept the life that he offers us. That's what baptism is all about. And Kyle, um, as he led this church, he always talked about how he had been baptized like upwards of 300 times. 
So I think it's important for us to make a distinction that baptism is not something we do out of duty or obligation. It's not a religious requirement. Like baptism is something that we do in order to identify ourselves with Jesus. All that he is. All that he is becomes all that we are in him. That's what that moment declares. And some of you have done that right here in this box. Not by a river, but in a really cool um, wooden box. (laughs) Plywood box. It's a bit like a river, right? But it's declaring that there's this exchange that Christ's going to infuse you with his life and you want that. And you say yes to that and yes to Jesus and allegiance to him. And so this baptism, that's what we do. And so here, as we look at this passage, what we want to say or what Mark wants us to see is that Jesus identifies with our life. In his baptism, he identifies with us, with humanity. That Jesus wants to identify with human pain and he wants to identify with human limitation. And we know as we continue on, because we know the stories, that he will do that all the way to the cross. And verse 10, as soon as he comes out of that water, as soon as he identifies with us as humanity, as soon as he comes out of the water, what happens? Dude, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. And the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The heavens are torn open and the spirit comes down and the voice of the father speaks out. I am pleased with you. I love you. I am glad about you. I am proud of you. That's the voice of the father that reverberates out of heaven into this kind of ordinary situation. Here we see who Jesus is in relationship to God the Father through his spirit. That he has divine belonging. That Jesus has communion and that he is home in the Father's love. And the Father's voice is that he is glad of his son and he is pleased with his son. And he tears open one reality. I love that it says the word tears it open. Tears it open to make room for another reality so that what is true can reverberate in the middle of the wilderness. And I tell you, like, if I could tear, like, through this wood and, like, give you a taste of England, you would hear the same voice from my father. Be similar. I'm glad about her, pleased with her. She's pretty great. If I could tear through and you could see that reality, that's the voice that you would hear of my father about me. And today's Father's Day, and many of you are fathers, or you hope to be fathers. And this week I was talking to Mark and Nate And they were telling me about their desires as fathers, whether it's with kids jumping off the couch or whether it's with kids going on a long road trip with them. And I heard their hearts 
for their children is that they would know that they are loved and that their fathers are proud of them and that they have this heart towards them. And last night I hung out with the Johnsons and um, little Roscoe is three and there's three adults and we're hanging out with Roscoe. The girls are out and the other little girl's in bed. And Roscoe wants us to go and do the slip and slide. So there we are, three adults doing the slip and slide with a little three-year-old. Like, why did we do that? Why did the three adults do the slip and slide with the three-year-old? Because we want him to know our heart toward him. We're with you in this. You want to play? We'll play with you. You're legit. And this is legit. (laughs) We're like having some pain in the hips right now, but we'll go for it. Right? Why did we do it? Because we want him to know our heart towards him. These are the kinds of words and actions we want to hear and experience for our own children, but also for ourselves. And I know that's not, that's not always the case with a father or home. And today might be a hard day for you because of that. That the words glad and pleased and proud are not words that come to mind when you think of your own father or your own home. And maybe you don't even know your father. And even in a good home, we can question our own value and our own worth. There are voices that creep in that question our own belovedness. Which is why Jesus came. He came to save us out of those old stories. To save us from voices that question our value, whether we're enough or we're not enough. He comes to save us out of a broken world that tries to share false identities with us because he wants to give us his. And Jesus identifies with our humanness and he tears open one reality to make room for another and they come together in that moment. And he offers us his reality, his home and his father's word. And in trusting him, we are seen not as we are or how we see ourselves. But we are seen in him. And so these words are our words. And we're home. These words are our words. And we're home. You are my beloved. You are my beloved. I'm pleased with you. I'm glad about you. I'm proud of you. His words are your words. And the thing is, while I can say these words to you this morning, I can't make you believe them. They are hard words to believe. So I can say them to you. I can communicate to you that they're the words of the Father over you, but I cannot make you believe them. 
And there are circumstances and there are difficulties in life that constantly call you to question whether those words are true for you. Whether those, true, whether those words are true of you. And we question that. We question our belovedness. We question our homeness. We question the pleasedness that we walk around with. And that's the power of this narrative, that Jesus hears these words right before he faces his own challenges and difficulties. Right? Immediately after he hears these words, he's driven into the wilderness and he faces difficult circumstances and temptation. And the Father's voice is the voice that he hears and these words carry him through the wilderness. The temptation and the difficulty and that relatedness does not get him out of it. That relatedness and understanding that he has of his own belonging and lovedness carries him through the difficulty, carries him through the wilderness. And that's the same for us. These are the words that we need to carry us through the wilderness, through temptation and through difficulty. Because that relatedness, our relatedness with Christ, that gives us access to this sense of home in the Father by the power of the Spirit, that relatedness is not going to keep us from temptation or difficult circumstances or the wilderness. And while we walk through that, it's not an invitation to question our belovedness. While we might, often. We have to hold on to these words because they are what carry us through the difficult circumstances. The spaces that press us into believing the voices that would tell us that we are other than loved or seen or known. And so as Jesus hears this and it's declared over us, we hear it and it's declared over us too. Let's continue reading in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, he's going through his own difficult circumstances, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brothers of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, all the way through Mark, you'll hear the word immediately. It actually says it 44 times, and it's supposed to give us a sense of pacing, that there are a lot of things happening in this gospel. And so after this baptism, Jesus is in the wilderness, and then he ends up hearing about John, who is imprisoned. And after that moment, he's like, and now I'm going to go and declare to these people what I want them to know. And so Jesus speaks kingdom. In that moment, Jesus speaks kingdom to all of the people in this area. 
And he says, repent and believe in the gospel, the good news that the kingdom is breaking in. Even in the midst of all these difficult circumstances, I want you to believe that. And then he calls his disciples in this specific moment, Andrew and Simon, James and John. Calls them to follow, come along with me. Leave what you know, leave what is familiar to you and and follow me. And so Jesus steps into a world with a people that is surrounded by um, an invitation to trust all sorts of things. To trust their ancestry and their land and their temple and their laws and their hopes and their expectations. And he steps in there and he calls them back to trust in him. And he does that by saying, repent and believe. And so they confess. That's how we get back to this place of belief is this confession. Confess that that's not what I'm orienting my life around. And Jesus is like, come back to this. And so he calls them back to trust. And then he says, follow me. Join me, he says. And the reality is is that he still does that. And it is both beautiful and challenging. Because in order to believe Jesus, we often have to leave what we know in order to follow him. We have to leave what is familiar, like these disciples, they're they're leaving the nets, they're leaving their families, they're leaving their livelihood in many ways. And so in order to believe, sometimes we have to leave what we know to follow him. We might have to leave an ideology or a tradition We might have to leave a cultural value, something that the culture tells us is is significant, whether it's life needs to be easy or life should be successful or life should be, be full of things. I don't know what it is. There's these cultural values that we might have to leave in order to follow Jesus. We might have to leave expectations, like this is what I expected my life to look like, but now that I'm following Jesus, those expectations aren't what I'm living into. We might have to leave comfort or family. And to be honest, it's not prescriptive. Like each of the disciples had to leave very unique sets of circumstances in order to follow Jesus. So when we say yes to Jesus, it's likely going to look very different for all of us. Like I said, last night I was over with Annie and Randall and we were getting crazy on the slip and slide. And we were talking over dinner because they made a choice as a family to do something where they heard Jesus say, follow me. And that choice was to move into the world of foster care and adoption. And so they did that out of hearing the voice of Jesus say, follow me into this space. There's others in in our community that do the same. And at the moment, it's especially challenging with one of their girls. And I heard Randall say last night, he's like, I want to say to Jesus, like, because you asked me to do this, like, you shouldn't make it this hard. Like, that wasn't the deal, yo. And he's like, it's actually not easy. It's not just like a one time I'm giving up something. It's like this constant giving up. I'm giving up 
both of them were talking about you give up money and you give up comfort and you give up a sense of control and you give up certainty knowing what an outcome is going to be. And sometimes in the midst of that, all it feels like is challenge. But from the outside, the thing that I see is the beauty. The beauty that I see is that every day they communicate that even though it isn't easy, they will still be there. That there is a love that is not conditional. And it may be hard sometimes, but they stand in their commitment just like God does. And so in that call to trust, to follow and to join him, they receive challenge and also beauty. And they have in that moment, as we all do, this responsibility and opportunity to live out a different reality. And that reality is like, I'll be here all the time. I will declare to you over and over and over again that we are with you. And so they declare this different reality and they witness to it. While it is both beautiful and challenging, messy and complicated, full of uncertainty. But that's the way of Jesus. Where is your challenging place to trust, to follow? I've named one of the people in this community where that's the challenge. Where's yours? Where is the challenging place that you have in your life to trust or to follow Jesus? To go the Jesus way. Maybe it's in a dating relationship or a sibling relationship. Maybe it's at your job with your boss. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's in leaving something that you love. Or maybe it's even in moving towards something that you love. Where is it a challenge for you to actually go the Jesus way? We all have them, and they are unique to us because our relatedness to Jesus is unique to us. Which is why we need help along that way. And so in the end of this book, the last section, it's like the chapter 21 all the way down um, to 45. And as you read over this, and I'd encourage you to do that this week, as you read... Over it, you'll see that Jesus teaches and Jesus heals. Jesus preaches and Jesus cleanses. But the thing that struck me this week as I was reading this is that Jesus prays. Like in the midst of all of this, Jesus prays. Look with me at verse 35. We'll read it together, 35 to 38. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, 
for this is what I came to do. N.T. Wright says it this way, behind the public activity and controversy lay Jesus' life of total dependence on the one he called Father. Jesus knew his need of a God-given sense of direction and inner strength. And so he got up very early in the morning while it was still dark. And he went and he threw himself before the Father. Why? Because I believe he needed to be reminded what was said of him when the whole heavens and earth were torn apart. You are my beloved son and I am pleased in you. I am glad about you. I am delighted in you. And that is what is going to motivate you to continue on this journey all the way to the cross. He has to have his sense of home, his sense of identity, and his sense of security, and he finds it early in the morning as he spends time with his father. Behind the public activity and controversy lay Jesus' life of total dependence on the one he called father. Jesus knew his need of a God-given sense of direction and inner strength. We need that too. We need to rely on him. To rely on Jesus. And prayer is where the presence of Jesus is promised by his spirit to guide and encourage us. That's a promise. That his presence through his spirit will guide and encourage us. As we face the cost of being kingdom people and bringing Jesus' love to the world. Because we will have to face the cost of it. The difficulty of it, the temptation of it. The temptation to move back to a life of ease or to not forgive. Or to build our house in resentment. Or to not show up again and love somebody that just continually reflects back that they don't want our love. Or to declare to this city that we see them and we want good for this city. Prayer is the presence of Jesus as he guides us and encourages us along the way. And Jesus calls us into relatedness, but he also calls us into reliance. On my way home in the plane, I watched the film Selma. Has any of you seen that film? It's about Martin Luther King Jr. And I was watching it, and I'm sitting next to this dude next to me, and I got about a third of the way through, and he's like, nudgy nudge. And he's like, where's that film? And it was kind of in the, in the deepness of the little computer screen and so I showed him and so we ended up watching this film together and it's about this moment where Martin Luther King is taking a march from Montgomery to um or from Salem to Montgomery and it's a moment when the black community are fighting for their rights to vote and in this one moment um, there's this moment where they're invited to do something and what you see Martin Luther King do is kneel down and pray because he's uncertain about what this moment is. He has this whole crew of people and they're going to about to take this march. And people's lives have been on the line. And so the guards or the, the state troopers or whatever, they move out of the way. And so in that moment, he's left with this 
place of decision. Like, do, do I take these crowds of people through this not knowing what's going to happen? Or do I wait until we have this hearing on Thursday and see if it's going to be a legal action for us to do? And a lot of people are like, you shouldn't wait. Like, this is our right. We're going to march on ahead. And so you watch him and he kneels down. And everybody just goes quiet. Like, these state troopers are, like, out in the... They've, they've said they can go, even though in this moment he knows it's illegal. And so he kneels down, and then the whole, the whole like, crowd behind him, they all, like, kneel down, like, all right, guess we're not going to be marching today. We're just going to get down on our knees. And he just stays there for a while, and he gets quiet. And as soon as he gets quiet, he stands up, and he walks back into the crowd, and he starts making his way back. And there's people in the crowd that are like, what, we're not going to do this? After all of this, this hoo-ha and publications, like we're not going to actually march today. And then afterwards you see him and he's declaring and people are like, you let us down today, you didn't go. And he said, you know what, in that moment, he's like, I'd rather people be disgusted at me that I didn't follow through than people's lives being on the line. And so he waited and the hearing came and we know the story. A couple days later, they all went out and they marched. Nobody lost their lives. And so after the film, I'm sitting there with this dude who's sitting next to me. And like at the end, I see him take a, 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 a napkin and he's, he's like wiping tears off his, out, out of his eyes. And I'm like trying to be super subtle. And like, I'm like, oh, I see you crying over there. And <laughs> like, here I am. We've just watched this really intense movie together. And so then I'm like, like classic British, did you enjoy the film? <laughs> and he just looks at me and he's like, yeah. And then I just asked him about his story. Because he was that man who grew up in Alabama. And his family faced a lot of the things that the people in that film had faced. And I think that's why he was taken, not because it's a sad, sentimental film, but because it's part of his history and his family. You know, I have enough training to, like, you don't ask people about their trauma. But he just looked at him and he's like, yeah, and this, this stuff still happens. And I was like, yeah, Jesus calls us like Martin Luther King, to rely on him. So that we can get down on our knee and know exactly what it is that we need to do to be able to declare a different reality into the world. That black people should have the right to vote and we should be there listening to the Spirit to know how to take that forward. The children that don't have homes should have the capacity to sense belonging. And that we as a people would attend Attend to his spirit so that we can consistently declare a different reality. And it may not be as grandiose as that. It may just be like I'm sitting on a plane next to a dude and I can be like, I'm sorry. Thanks for, for talking to me about that. Like I'm probably part of the problem. It may be that you say to a mother as she's struggling with her child, like, I see you and you're doing a really great job. And maybe there's just somebody at work that needs a note of encouragement or some food. or Like there's lots of ways 
that we can communicate a different reality into the realities in which we exist. They can be grandiose and they can be middle of the road and they can be tiny little gestures. Jesus asks us to follow him because he wants to tear heaven open and allow a different reality to crash into the ordinary, everyday moments of our lives. We may not be by a river with a crowd of people and a dude that's got like locusts and honey, but we live our own reality and he wants to speak his into it to us and through us. Jesus calls us into a relatedness and he also calls us into reliance. And he demonstrates both in this book of Mark. He asks us to believe him, to trust in him. And he asks us to rely on him. And so, Missio, the way to belief is to confess unbelief. So when I asked you about that challenging place, maybe the place that you don't believe Jesus has the capacity to show up, I want you to can just confess that unbelief. That would be your one step towards believing today is to confess your unbelief and you can do it at this table. It's a table that is here and is set for you so that every week you would be reminded that Christ identified with our humanity in order to give us a place of home and belonging, that the words of the Father are now the words to you, for you, and will always be yours, that you're beloved. And so you can come to this table and he receives you. You can confess your unbelief, your places where you don't actually believe. Confess that today. Because the way to belief is to confess unbelief. And you can do that with a person next to you if you want to. You can do that alone. You can do it also with somebody in your house church. But don't let that unbelief be unconfessed. It's your way back home. And then the way to reliance is prayer. That's the way to reliance. Martin Luther King schooled me in that as I was watching that film. You just get down on your knee in whatever the situation is. Maybe not you know, practically, but in moments. And so, Missio, if you don't know how to pray, learn how to pray. There's people here that will pray for you. And maybe that that's what you confess, is like, I don't actually know how to pray. I don't know what I'm listening for. I don't know who I'm communicating to. Then learn. Learn how to pray. Do you know the best people who can teach you how to pray? Kids. Kids rock at prayer. And so you could, I mean, this is not like a, a plug for the kids' ministry, but it kind of is. Go in there. They'll teach you how to pray. They're honest. They're forthright. They say what they mean. They ask for what they want. If you don't know how to pray, learn. Because the way to reliance is prayer. And it's okay if you don't know how. It's okay to need to learn how to do things. It doesn't make you bad or unspiritual or not good enough. But you're invited to learn. The elders, myself, Johnny, be happy to pray with you. 
So as you come to this table today, Missio, know who you are. The words that were given to Jesus are the words that are yours. You are my beloved. I'm well pleased. I'm glad about you. Those are the words of the Father over you. It doesn't keep you from temptation or difficulty or challenge, but it's what walks you through it. Invited to follow Jesus in him declaring the kingdom, and it won't always be easy. But he doesn't leave us to do it alone. You can rely on his strength and his power that comes as you attend prayerfully to him. So come to this table and confess the places of your unbelief and rely on him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for who you are and I thank you that you want us to know who you are and you're desperate for us to know who you are and that you would speak so clearly about who you are in these pages. Lord, I pray that as we leave today that it wouldn't just be um, something that stays here, but instead the reality of what you say about us would be lived out from our own hearts into the places that we live and speak and play, that the relatedness that we have to you would end up being um, what it means for us to follow and join you in tearing this reality that you have brought us into and busting it into the worlds that we live. And yet we just declare collectively that we cannot do that without you. That we rely on you. We rely on you to make us believe that we're loved so that we can love. We rely on you to know that we've forgiven so that we can forgive. We rely on you to understand generosity so that we can be generous. We rely on you to be able to discern between goodness and not goodness so that we can be good people in the world. So today we just declare that we as your people, Missio Day in Salt Lake City, we rely on you. And we need the power of your spirit to get us through our life, our circumstances, our temptations. And we thank you that that doesn't make us weak because it didn't make you weak. And so we declare that we trust you and we need you and Lord call out of us today the things that we need to confess so that we can find our way home find our way home to your words of love and of pleasedness and of proudness and of gladness to be with you and to be yours and to be ours we pray these things in Jesus name Amen